Romans 15. Let's go ahead and read verses 14 to 21 here. Verses 14 to 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Jesus Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not to where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never heard been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How does the gospel shape the direction of your life? How does the gospel shape the direction of your life? And this is an important question to consider, especially as we head into the new year, because what the world is teaching us as a worthwhile and well-lived life can be vastly different than what the gospel says. You know, last year was the 20th anniversary of Pastor John Piper's seashell sermon that he gave in Memphis, Tennessee. It was a cold day, a rainy day on a Tuesday afternoon, about 40,000 college students, so everyone's getting restless and tired. So John Piper gets up on stage, and he begins to tell this story. He says, three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards were both killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80, single all her life, and she poured out her life for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old, serving by Rudy's side. They were driving, the brakes failed, the car went off the cliff, and were both killed instantly. I asked the people in my church, were their lives wasted? Is their story nothing but a sad tragedy of two older ladies who wasted their lives in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing in the wrong time? The crowd of college students were mostly silent. They weren't sure how to respond. So John Piper continues with a firm voice and says, no, 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 that is not a tragedy. But let me tell you what is a tragedy. And then he pulled out from a tra travel magazine a little article, and he read this. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. They now live in Punta Gorda, Florida. They cruise on their 30-foot boat play softball, and collect seashells. 
John Piper continued, the American dream tells us to come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work before you give an account to your creator be, I collected seashells. Lord, look at all my shells. That is a tragedy. People today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Today, I'm here to plead with you, don't buy it. Don't waste your life. Park Community Church, let me ask you, are you wasting your life? What are you giving your one and only life to? Every single one of us in this room has a mission in life. We have an aim. There is a purpose that we're going after that shapes the way we live and our priorities. And the question once again that we need to ask is how much of our life is actually being shaped by the gospel? You know, in Romans 15 today, and we see how Paul's life and mission is shaped by the gospel. Let me just give some quick context here. Verses 14 and 15 again. Paul says, I myself am satisfied with you, speaking to the church in Rome, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct each other. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. So Paul right now actually wraps up on a topic that he's been talking about for the last two and a half chapters about the unity of the church. And Paul also knows that he's leaned really hard into the church because he tells the strong in the church, the strong in faith, that you need to step it up and humbly serve the weak in the church. And for the weak, he says, you need to grow up into Christ-like maturity. And he reminds them that this strong exhortation that he gives them is a shepherding responsibility that he's been given as an apostle. Verse 15, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus. That I'm not speaking on behalf of myself here, but I'm speaking on behalf of Christ to the church. Now, what happens now in our verses is that he highlights another apostolic responsibility and passion that he has, and that's a mission for the gospel. That this was a calling that led him to preach the gospel to every city, to plant churches all over the places, oftentimes in very hostile areas. Now, I want to be careful here. Paul's life is not your life. Okay, it's not your life here. Oftentimes, especially for me, you read a guy like Paul, and we're going to be going through Acts in February, it can be very easy to feel very guilty that I am not doing enough for Christ because currently I'm not being flogged for my faith or I'm not in overseas ministry and I can feel like a big Christian failure, okay? No, not all of us are called to the same kind of work. And Paul himself didn't expect every Christ follower to model his ministry. As a matter of fact, after he planted churches, he raised up local elders in those churches to stay put so that those churches can grow in Christ-like maturity. Also, with the Apostle Peter, Paul affirms his calling to stay in Jerusalem in Galatians chapter 2, verse 7, and to grow the church there and to reach the Jews. Also, with Apollos in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, 
and God gave the increase. That Paul was called to do pioneering work to go to unreached areas. And Apollos, who was gifted as a pastor teacher, was sent, was, was called to stay and build off the work of Paul. And the result was the flourishing of the church. So the point in our verses is not for you to mimic the Apostle Paul and his calling. Instead, it's for you to consider his example and motivation. How is the gospel shaping your motivations, your ambitions? Why are you in Chicago or from wherever you're watching at right now? Why are you doing the work that you're currently doing? Why are you studying what you're studying? What is the motivation that gets you up and going every day? And for the Apostle Paul, it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was to bring glory to his name. So with the time that we have here today, I want us to look at Paul's own testimony and how the gospel shaped the ambition of his life. And here are the three points that are going to move us along. First is this, Paul understood God's greater purpose in the world. God's greater purpose. Secondly, Paul understood the priesthood of believers. And then finally, Paul understood that only the Holy Spirit can produce anything of lasting value, okay? So first, Paul understood God's greater purpose. So let's start at the end of our verses here. Verse 20, Paul says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Now, Paul here is a very ambitious person, and if you know anything about the life of Paul, there is nothing that he does that he is not all in. That he was all in when he was a persecutor of Christians, and then after his conversion, he was all in in preaching the gospel, that he preached the gospel so hard in Damascus that they threatened to kill him, that they had to lower him down through a garbage basket so that he could escape. You know, John Wesley used to say, I like my religion like I like my tea. I want it hot. You know, how do you like your Christianity? Mild, lukewarm, cold, or do you like it hot? That was the heart of Paul. And it's this ambition that led him to gospel mission that took him from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And in verse 24, he's also now planning to go to Spain. And just before you think like, oh, Spain, that's so nice, that's so scenic. Spain back then, it was gnarly, okay? It was not what it is today here. But Paul directed all his energies to wanting everyone to know his Savior and the love of God. Now, what gave Paul such a clear sense of calling and ambition? It's because he understood God's greater purpose. Notice in verse 20 that he states his ambition to preach the gospel everywhere, and then he immediately backs it up with Scripture. Verse 21 again, but as it is written, you hear that word, that means I'm referring back to Old Testament Scripture. Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is from Isaiah 52, 15. Now notice that Paul doesn't justify his calling first through life experience, first through personal feelings, 
First by asking what's going to make me the most money or what's going to give me the most security. His calling is first rooted in Scripture. Let me ask you, how well are your life goals lined up with Scripture? You know, oftentimes when I talk to people, you know, many of them are starting off in their careers and their life. They share with me that, you know, I want to be a great teacher. You know, I want to be a great doctor, a great engineer. You know, I, I want to be a great parent. You know, I want to do what I love, you know, and, and I never feel like I have to work a day of my life. That's what I want to see happen. I, I want to own my own business. I, I want to make a good living. And, and let me just say, th- these are all good. But how does your agenda line up with God's agenda? And so often, this is where the gap is. That too often when it comes to the will of God, we're more excited about who we are than who God is and what he's doing across the world. That we love things like Enneagrams and personality profiles and strength finders. And nothing wrong with these assessments. I've used them all. I'm an Enneagram 9 with a one wing, so I get this stuff, okay? But before this stuff can ever be relevant, we first need to know what in the world is God up to and conforming our lives to it. As an Old Testament scholar, Christopher Wright says, instead of asking, where does God fit into the story of my life? The real question is, where does my little life fit into God's great, great story of his mission So often we say things like, you know, I'm just trying to find God's will. God's will is not lost. It is not hidden. It is all over Scripture. And this is God's will. It is to seek and save the lost. Paul here quotes from Isaiah 52, 15, which is a messianic prophecy of Christ's death and promised salvation. We also see in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, and it says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Also, if you guys in Romans 15, you know, Rafe preached on this last week, but in verses 10 to 13, Paul talks about God's saving purpose for the Gentiles. And actually notice that he's all quoting there from the Old Testament. And he quotes from all three major parts of the Old Testament. He quotes from the law, he quotes from the prophets, and he quotes from wisdom writing. This is Paul's way of saying that all of the Old Testament testifies to this one truth. God God's will is to make his name known amongst all the nations. And therefore, I, the Apostle Paul, will organize my life around that great purpose. You know, we currently live in a generation that is driven by causes. Eradicate poverty, human rights, global warming, plastic straws, all good. And we should care about them here. But one cause supersedes All of them. The Lord is not willing to see any perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
As Christ followers, any effort to relieve any kind of suffering is a good and worthy goal, but we must keep in mind that the worst kind of suffering, the one that demands our greatest attention, is not the 70 or 80 years that you will live on this earth. It's the eternal suffering that comes without faith in Christ. Of all the things we can give our lives to, helping people know the love of Jesus is most important. And it's for that very reason Jesus came to die. That's why he came. And this leads us actually to our second point. Paul understood his priestly ministry. He understood the priesthood of believers. Verse 15 and 16. Because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul, as he talks about his work, his calling, he considers it a priestly work. Now, now what does that all mean here? To understand this, we need to know what a priest did in the Old Testament. The priest bridged the gap between sinful man and holy God. A priest would make offerings before God on behalf of the people that because of our sin, our offense towards God, our guilt demanded payment. So an animal would be sacrificed to pay that debt so that we could be right with God. A priest would offer that sacrifice on behalf of the people. A priest's job was to connect the people to God. And that's exactly how Paul understood what his life was all about. It was connecting people to God. And Paul continues to say that his offering, that he is offering the Gentiles to God. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul is sacrificing the Gentiles. That would be messed up. That, that, would, be, that would not be right, okay? Instead, what he is saying is this is that as I preach the gospel to them and they receive the gospel, I am offering them back to God. God, they heard the gospel, they received the gospel, but they're yours. They're all yours. And here it is. And just to quickly highlight, Paul wasn't just talking about their conversion here, but he's talking about them growing in, the, in a discipleship relationship. Uh, verse 18, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Paul was not just looking for profession of faith, but lives that were transformed. Evangelism is never an end in itself, but the goal of true evangelism is a life that obeys all that Jesus commanded. Now, as you read these verses, it's easy to tell that this work was not a duty for Paul, but it was a gift for him to do. Verse 15 because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Paul was grateful that he got to call himself a servant and slave. How many of us would be privileged to do that? Not many. But Paul saw it as a gift because he knew that Jesus was servant of all. And he understood better than anyone else how undeserving he was. That he saw himself as the worst of all sinners, deserving of hell and the wrath of God. So for him, not only to be saved and forgiven by the blood of Christ, but to now have a purpose to share the very same gospel that saved him, he was so privileged 
to do that. Sharing Jesus with others was not an add-on for Paul, but it was central to his faith. He had a priestly ministry. Did you know that in the New Testament, we too are called priests? We too are called priests. All believers are called priests. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Every believer is a priest so that we can proclaim the excellencies of Christ. We all have a priestly ministry, and that's to lead others to God. It is not my job alone, it's not Pastor Rafe's job alone to help others to know God and to grow in God, but it is all of our jobs. This is a mission that we all share. What would change in your life right now if you saw everything in light of this priestly calling? What would change in your relationships? What would change in your work? How would you now begin to spend your time and money? What would happen if you woke up in the morning and your first thought was not, I'm a worker or I'm a student or, or I'm a business person or I'm a mom or dad or, or I'm a husband and wife, but you wake up and your first, first thought, your foremost thought is that I am a priest of God. How would your prayers change that morning? That instead of asking God to help you survive that day, you will pray instead, God, give me the strength to serve others. Help me that as I go into my job or my classroom or my neighborhood or inside my church, and, and, and God, would you help activate my gifts and talents to bring people closer to you? That if you understood your priestly calling, wouldn't the things that you count as success look radically different when it's rooted in this identity? Whatever God has given you, Wherever God has placed you, whatever job it is, whatever school it is, if you're a stay-at-home parent, your job is to connect people to Jesus. And like Paul, this is your spiritual act of worship. It's your offering. Once again, you might not, be, you might not have the same calling as the Apostle Paul, but if you're a Christ follower, God has given you a primary job in your life. And that's to take people's hands and put them in the hands of Jesus Christ. That is your priestly responsibility. And here's the third point. Paul understood that only the Holy Spirit produced anything of lasting value. Verse 18 and 19 for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and powers, by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, Paul has accomplished a lot. Now, how many of us here can say that we have planted churches, that we have written inspired texts in the Bible, that we have died for our faith? Right? Many of us can't say that, but guess what? Paul can say that. 
Yet with all these accomplishments, he didn't take credit for any of it. Instead, he gloried in Christ. That he says, for I will not venture to speak of anything. I'm not going to talk about anything else in my life except what Christ has accomplished through me. That all that is happening around me right now, this is a work of Christ. This is the power of the Spirit. This is what Christ is doing through me. I'm not even doing this with Christ. This is Christ working through me. I take no credit in this. I'm just an instrument. It's kind of like how a water hose can't brag about bringing water, right? It's just a conduit for the water to come. It's not the source of the water. The same thing can be said of a scalpel. It can't take credit for the life that it's healed or saved. It's just an instrument in the doctor's hands. We too, we're just an instrument in God's hands. Verse 19 by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul could only fulfill his calling because it was the Spirit that empowered him. And this is the same Paul who said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That God says to Paul, you know, go to Rome, you know, go to Europe, go, go to Spain, get beaten up, get shipwrecked, be hungry and naked, be imprisoned, be executed for my son, Jesus Christ. Can you do that for me? Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus says in John 15 that apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Now, obviously, many of us are doing a lot of things. That is the idol of the West. It is productivity. It's something that I struggle deeply with. So Jesus is not saying that we're not going to be busy doing stuff. There's many Marthas in the world here, okay? Instead, he is saying that if you want to do anything of eternal and lasting value, you can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit's power. And do you know what will last for all eternity? It's not your bank account. It's not your likes on Facebook and Instagram. It's not your work. It's not your seashells. They will all fade away. What lasts for eternity is the word of God and people. Do you see how significant your work is in reaching others? That if you're asking yourself, you know, what can I give myself to that will have lasting meaning? Give it to the glory of Christ and to reaching others for his name. To help others to know him and to grow in Christ. That's an investment that will last for eternity. That is where the real reward is. But we can't do this without dependence on the Holy Spirit. But far too often, we try to produce results from the flesh and not from the spirit. Now, it might impress others by all the busyness that you're doing, but it's not going to impress God. Now, now how do you know if you're wasting your life working from the flesh? Well, here are a couple of things to keep in mind. You will burn out very, very fast. You will do things without prayer. You will seek fast results and not deep results. You'll want, you will want to be recognized and applauded. The only work that ever matters, the only work that can save and transform lives is a work that is connected to the Holy Spirit. That is why there is nothing for Paul to brag about except the greatness and goodness of Jesus. That is all that ever matters. 
Amen? Amen. So, so what's an application here? I want to encourage all of you just to pray and to ask God to make clear for you, God, what have you called me to do? Once again, it might not be the same kind of work as Paul. Paul's a very unique type of calling. He was an apostle as well, too. We got to keep this all in mind, okay? So we might not be called to the same kind of work, but the mission is all the same for all of us. Ask God, how have you called me to do this? In light of your grand purposes to redeem creation, in light of being a priest, in light of the Holy Spirit's empowerment, God, what needs to change in my life to line up with the gospel? And church, can I encourage you, it cannot stay business as usual. That will not work. Not business as usual. Now for some of us, who are a bit older, you might have a sense of guilt feeling like, you know what, I just don't think I've done a really good job with this. I don't know if I'm quite sure if I stewarded my life really well. Can I just encourage you, it's never too late to give it all to Christ. Paul was 60 years old when he was executed for his faith. In his 60s, Paul didn't say, you know what, there's nothing left for me to do. You know, let me go ahead and move to Florida and pick up seashells. Instead, what was Paul doing in his 60s? He was getting to ready to die for Jesus Christ. That's what he was doing. You know, let me just close with this. One of the great missionaries of our time was David Livingston. David Livingston came from Scotland and gave his life to sharing the gospel in Africa. You know, when he died, they brought his body back to London, and they had a great funeral procession for him. And there was a large crowd just packed to the brim on the streets. And as the casket was coming through, there was one man in the crowd who was weeping uncontrollably. So a bystander notices this and says to the weeping man, you know, did you know the missionary? And the man said, yes, I did know him. I grew up with him, and as a matter of fact, we went to Africa together. But then he said, I went to Africa for gold. He went for the souls. I can't help but realize that I've been wandering after the wrong world. Friends, don't waste your life. Give it all to the gospel and to the glory of Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, you are a sovereign God. And God, we know that the way that you've worked in our lives, the way that you have brought us to salvation is not an end in itself, but God, that you have redeemed us from the world to send us out into the world. So Father, would you help us to do that? God, especially during a time of pandemic, a time of unrest, a time of so much conflict, divisive rhetoric, where there's so much financial insecurity, where there's so much hurt, where there's so much confusion. Father, the church has a voice during this time. So God, would you use us? Father, would you activate us as a church 
to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. They got that wherever you've called us, and God, where we're at right now is not an accident. The work that we're doing, the studies, the things that we're studying, Lord, the places that we're living, those things are not by accident, Father. You are sovereign. So God, activate us in those areas. God, help us to be faithful in those areas. Lord, help us to not to waste a single opportunity by taking the hand of others and bringing them into the hand of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we can't do this on our own. God, we can't muster up the courage on our own. God, it's only possible through your Holy Spirit's power. So God, work through us. Have that happen. Lord, do it through prayer. Do it through our time in the word. Do it through the examples of others within this church. But Father, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a church that isn't sitting in our little holy huddles, but that, Father, that we are storming the gates of hell. Lord, that is our prayer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.